The Closing Commodities Report, weekdays at 3.50 on the Hill Country Patriot. There is nothing wrong with your radio. Do not attempt to change the station. We are controlling transmission. If we wish to make it louder, we will bring up the volume. If we wish to make it softer, we will bring it to a whisper. For the next hour, sit quietly and we shall control all that you hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the outer limits. And now, it's time for the radio show that covers just about every topic. Because variety is the spice of life. From the arcane and unusual to current events and practical tips. Because if it's interesting, they'll be talking about it. And now, here's Bill and Allison Mancaro. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. Hello, Allison. Hello, Bill. Good morning. It's a chilly morning. Yes. I looked a few minutes ago. Our, our is, car says it's cold. It, <laughs> we don't need a car to tell us we, that. We have a nanny car. Yeah, we do. It's made we do. In, made it in is 20 speed degrees in. the last time I looked in Junction right now. Wow. Yeah, and it's in the 20s. And uh, Well, here, here at the bunker, it was uh, 28 when we got out of our, our car. Okay. And uh, then in uh, as you go toward Johnson City, it gets a little warmer, but still bundle up it's cold out there and might be a few wet patches little uh, skitty patches so be careful if you're driving today 808 is our hill country patriot tom and you're listening to the hill country patriot which is of course your information station and we are bill and allison and we are sometimes wrong but we're always right we're always right abs right we're fighting a never-ending battle for truth justice and the american way and the american way we are non-binary just so you know just uh, in case you uh, we're hoping for a Bidenarian station. Uh, <laughs> Country Patriot is not going to be it. We always like to start our program with a verse, and this is from Romans, the first chapter. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, let's think about this verse uh, and pronouns. And people say, well, what's the big deal about having pronouns in, you know, uh, on your name tag or telling people you, know, you want to be it and them and all that? Well, pronoun signals, if you, if you don't use the proper ones, you know, we know that God created two genders and Democrats created all the rest of them. But it, it, really, it signals that you've already abandoned objective reality altogether. See, a pronoun represents who you are, how you think, and what your authority is. And if your authority isn't the objective word of God, then you've abandoned a Christian worldview. And by abandoning a Christian worldview, you've abandoned Christianity. So you, you've embraced fooli- what the Bible calls foolishness. And the Bible says those who've embraced foolishness, like this pronoun stuff, do not worship him. That's why anybody who stands on a Christian worldview that's rooted in the objective reality revealed to us by God, including the sex that we were created in, will write off anybody who has pronouns 
uses the wrong pronouns. See, it, that whole stuff demonstrates that the modern pagan culture drives their thinking and the whims of society are their authority, not God. And once you've given up objective reality, you can't be reasoned with. Well, sort of on that same subject, probably everybody who is sentient has seen that satanic show at the Grammys from this past week? Yeah, or read about it. I, I, don't, I didn't see it. You didn't Who see it? Who watches the Grammys? Well, I, don't, I didn't watch the Grammys, but I saw, I saw the video. And what, what, what brings that up? Sam Smith, who I'd never heard of before, but no. he, he is you know, Satan in, in that video. He's non-binary. Of course he is. <laughs> so, so, I'll bet he's not non-binary. <laughs> so you, haven't see, you didn't see that video? I saw a picture of it. I have no interest in watching okay. it. Well, Thank no, I, I, I saw the video. Of it. It, was, it was totally, totally disgusting. I'm sure it's horrible. And, totally, uh, totally disgusting. Did you see that uh, CBS... Uh, posted a tweet saying that uh, I don't have it in front of me, but I'll I'll go from memory. Uh, Sam, whatever his name is, posted Smith. something, and yeah, and they said uh, worship him, meaning oh. Satan, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the internet blew up over that. What what now? It's obviously you're, you're Satan worshippers, so they if CBS immediately took it down. But you know it. it there's another verse from Scripture I think of often. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and uh, you know, wickedness in high places. And uh, so you know, if, if you've ever read, and I know Allison has, and, and I have, uh, any of Frank Peretti's books, mm -hmm. wow, is that yeah. eye-openers. They are real eye-openers. They're novels. It's a long time since I've read them, but yeah, they, they really were. Yeah, This Present Darkness and, mm -hmm. and all that. They are novels, and they're highly recommended. Frank Peretti, P-E-R-E-T-T-I. Mm -hmm. yeah, the, the devil is very active in them. Yeah, well, the devil's very active now. That's, mm -hmm. that's becoming more and more obvious, mm -hmm. in case anybody didn't know. 818 is our Hill Country Patriot time. You are again with Bill and Allison. What you got? Well, what I was going to tell you, well, actually, a couple things. Um, tomorrow is the Super Bowl. and It is. Don't ask me why it changed. Super Bowl always used to be the very end of January. And I will tell you why in just a minute, why I know that, because I don't watch, <laughs> I don't watch football. <laughs> but I do know when the Super Bowl is. Um, so, so if you're um, having people over for the game, uh, here are a few tips. Um, you can begin constructing the salami football. <laughs> <laughs> Cheese-proof your couch and rugs. Yeah. And assemble layers one through three today of the seven-layer dip in order to let them rest. And did you know that, that that recipe was invented in 1982 by Peggy Shoup in Grapevine, Texas? No kidding. The yeah. seven-layer mm -hmm. dip? Mm-hmm. That's very good, too. I like the... I know. I know. Well, if you buy the ingredients, I'll make it for you. Okay. But, but Bill's the grocery shopper in our family. Yeah, and you're the chef. <laughs> I'm the chef. I, I cook, but he, he buys the groceries <laughs> and cleans up. Um, well, the, the reason that I know when the Super Bowl used to be is uh, our anniversary. We were, we were married on January 30th, and... Um, the for our first anniversary, so we were, we were married on a Saturday, as is you know typical. Uh, we were married on a Saturday, and uh, 
our anniversary was rolling around and we had made no plans for our first anniversary. We had made no plans and we were living in the Washington DC area at the time. And there was a, a very well-known restaurant, French restaurant, um, Chez Francois, is yeah. the name of it. Um, it was just outside of Washington, D.C. And th this restaurant was so well-known and so popular that um, they only took reservations uh, two weeks in advance. And they would, and this was back before, before internet and email, um, they would open their phone line exactly two weeks before, th before the date. And so you would start calling, um, you know, first thing in the morning, and their line was constantly busy. And by the time you finally got through, they were they were all already booked up. So so we finally just gave up. But but here it was, um, our anniversary, and we had no plans. So I said, oh, <laughs> let's call Lauberge. Uh, so I called them the day of our anniversary, which was which was a Sunday. Super Bowl weekend. Super, yeah, Super Bowl Sunday, and they said, "What time can you be here?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so we were able to go to this this famous restaurant, and um, well, another thing I should mention is is that, like I said, I, I don't watch f football, but um, I, I lived in uh, Washington D.C. and and Bill and I lived lived there together, um, where uh, Washington D.C. had a, had a very good football team, the the, the Redskins. Um, and they were major rivals with the uh, with um, Dallas Cowboys, um, but uh, anyway. So well, so the skins were in the Super Bowl that Sunday. That's why nobody yes. nobody wanted to go to a restaurant. Oh yeah, well, it, okay. I guess I should have pointed that out. Yes, yes. <laughs> the the, the uh, Redskins were were playing the Super Bowl, so people were staying home to watch watch the show, and uh, the Redskins won. So um, the uh, uh, at the restaurant. The uh, the owner came out and gave everybody a, uh, a, a cordial for, for with dessert. And when we were driving home, cars all over were honking. People were hanging out the windows, <laughs> celebrating. Absolutely, yeah, that was fun. Well, speaking of the Super Bowl, tomorrow, the twelfth of February, is the day that uh, Tom Landry died. And of course, everybody knows Tom Landry as the uh, famous coach of the of the Cowboys. Uh, he, uh, uh, in fact, uh, the uh, former commissioner of the NFL, Paul Tagliabue, said, "If there were a Mount Rushmore for the NFL, the profile of Tom Landry would have to be there, wearing his trademark hat." So he was Dallas uh, head coach for 29 years. Uh, he led the Cowboys to more playoff seasons than they've had since. Uh, the Cowboys won 13 division titles, played in five Super Bowls. They won two. They enjoyed 20 consecutive winning seasons. And But I'll tell you, something and that we don't know about Tom Landry uh, is that uh, as great as those years were, nothing equaled his finest season in football. And you have to go all the way back to Tom Landry's high school years in Mission, Texas the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, it was Tom's senior year, 1941. He played quarterback and defensive back. He led the Mission Texas Eagles to a perfect 12-0 season. And in those 12 games, they only gave up one score to the opponent in uh -huh. 12 games. 
and the Eagles went all the way to the regional championship. At that time, there was no state championship. Um, so that's as far as they could go. And they destroyed Hondo 33 to zip. Uh, and uh, Tom Landry said, That autumn of glory shared with my boyhood friends remains perhaps my most meaningful season in my 50 years of football. He, uh, he, he wrote this in his autobiography. He, quote, The game was never more fun. The victories never sweeter. The achievements never more satisfying. And uh, he was fired by the Cowboys uh, after 29 years, but he became an inspirational speaker. And one of his favorite sayings was, as of today, you have 100% of your life left. And, <laughs> yeah, isn't that great? And he took mm -hmm. his own words to heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, when he, I mentioned he was fired by the Cowboys uh, in 89, uh, but uh, he, he, what he said about that, he said, quote, as a boy growing up in Mission, Texas, I always dreamed of being a cowboy, and for 29 wonderful years, I was one. <laughs> well, you, you, Isn't that marvelous? It is. You, you mentioned Paul Tagliabue. Mm -hmm. You know, we um, were with him. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Okay. We, uh, I, I mentioned that we lived in the Washington, D.C. area, and the, um, the Redskins were looking for a new uh, stadium. They were planning on building a new stadium. I guess the old one was just had gotten too small or something. Um, and we were um, at a meeting with our lawyer, who was a state rep in Virginia. And he said, got to go. He said there's a, a press conference that the, the owner of the Redskins, uh, Jack Kent Cook, was having. And he said, I need to go. Do you want to come with me? And we said, sure. <laughs> and it was a very small event. It was uh, local legislators, uh, local congressmen, um, a couple state reps, and uh, Jack Kent Cook, um, Mary, uh, Mayor Marion Barry. Of D.C. And, of D.C. And um, Paul, the commissioner, Paul Tagliabue. So it was, it, it was a very cool event because it was, it was very, very few people so uh, yeah they're very few people they had all was it five super bowl trophies oh yeah the, yeah the front they had them all lined up uh-huh that, uh -huh. that the redskins had won well no, nor normally they i don't know where they where they are now but back in those days they were at a restaurant in, in downtown dc and these things are solid um platinum yeah i don't know if you've ever seen one this is the first time i'd ever seen one yeah. they're about what about three feet tall four yeah maybe, about, maybe like that. about three, three probably three feet I don't know how much they weigh, but they're solid platinum, and yeah. platinum ain't cheap. <laughs> no, that's for sure. That's for sure. And who was coach then? Uh, Joe Gibbs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, as we were driving in, <laughs> uh, I, I looked. Our lawyer was driving, and Allison was in the front seat, and I was in the back seat, and I looked on the passenger, on the on driver's side, and I looked over to the car next to us driving in, so we were, we were just sitting there waiting to, to go in the parking lot, and I saw a guy I recognized, and uh, I waved to him, and he waved to me, and it. It turned out to be the coach, Joe, Joe Gibbs. Gibbs. Joe Gibbs. Yeah. So no wonder he looked familiar. <laughs> I thought he was a friend of mine or something. <laughs> oh, eight twenty-seven is our Hill Country Patriot time. Your information station, the Hill Country Patriot. We're Bill and Allison, and uh, when we come back, we're going to tell you about cats who make mail deliveries. Texas, oh Texas, you're wonderful and great. Boldest and grandest, withstanding every test. Oh, empire wide and glorious, you stand supremely blessed. Texas, oh 
Texas, your freeborn single star sends out its radiance to nations near and far. Emblem of freedom, it sets our hearts aglow with thoughts of San Jacinto and glorious Alamo. God bless you, Texas, and keep you brave and strong that you may grow in power and work throughout the ages long. God bless you, Texas, and keep you brave and strong that you may grow in power and work throughout the ages long. The Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Welcome back. We're Bill and Allison. Hill Country Patriot, your information station. 8.32 is our Hill Country Patriot time. Well, in 1877, a society was formed in Belgium to promote the use of cats to make mail deliveries. <laughs> I'm not making this up, folks. See, the, the theory was that cat. Now, you read as, about as, cats. As cat owners, we know how funny that is. Well, it is. But, you know, you read about, every so often you read about this cat that, you know, somehow got away from its owners a thousand miles away and then, mm-hmm. you know, a year or two later shows up. Mm-hmm. So, they, they, you know, they have this great sense of direction. And that's what the Belgians thought. Well, since they have this great sense of direction... Uh, they could be used like homing pigeons <laughs> to deliver packets of letters. Yeah, but try, try strapping a mailbag onto a cat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but uh, 37 cats were tied up in a gunny sack and transported to a spot 20 miles from town. And they were testing this out. One found his way home within five hours. All the rest returned within 24 hours. So despite that impressive performance, that was the only time that they ever did anything like that. <laughs> The one time that cats were used, or considered to be used, for delivering the mail. Which I thought that was a, a fact that no, probably no one knows. <laughs> You're probably right. <laughs> and probably nobody cares. But That's right. anyway. Now, on a more serious subject, Allison, I think you have a more serious subject than I did. <laughs> I, I do. Uh, as probably most people know, uh, not only this past week was the Grammys, <laughs> but it was also the State of the Union. Which, um, maybe a lot of people might not watch, um, <clears throat> but Bill and I, having you know worked for congressmen, just got us, got in the habit of watching the State of the Union, uh, even though they're usually incredibly boring, no matter who, who the president is, um, and uh, so we we watched the entire thing, and it was seventy two minutes. We didn't time it, but uh, you know one of the announcers told us that but the most entertaining thing about it was the kiss on the lips the full-on kiss with uh jill biden and second husband which is uh, kamala's husband did you say jill or joe biden (laughs) jill okay um i mean i i thought that was totally inappropriate yeah and creepy yeah in case you didn't see it or see the news coverage it was uh she walked up to him and gave him a full-on kiss on the lips. Probably lasted, I don't know, a second or two, you know. And uh, it was, uh, at the time, I thought, Exactly. You know. well, I, and I, you know the TV cameras are on you. Yeah? Of course. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I told Bill that, that I kiss men, 
but I kiss him on the cheek. <laughs> men, men, men who are good friends, but I kiss him on the cheek. Good looking, you say? <laughs> well, that, well, well, that, uh, that's it, that's they do have to be good looking. Yeah, okay. But uh, but I, I do you know it's a peck on the cheek. I don't. It's not a full on you know lip kiss. Right. Well, it was a. Uh, it it was more. Uh, there was another. There are many more reasons why the State of the Union was creepy, uh, besides <laughs> besides the kiss. Um, it was full of lies. I mean, mm-hmm. it was out and out lies, uh, and things that he didn't want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he never mentioned the wide open border, crime spiraling out of control. Uh, he made an aside at grocery and inflation and grocery prices, but claimed uh, uh, they're coming down. But he, he's the one who pushed them up uh, because of his wild spending. He never mentioned the drug epidemic just in passing, but never put the blame on, he put the blame on Republicans mm-hmm. uh, for the drug problems. I mean, it was, if, if it wasn't a lie, it was an omission. Uh, and if it wasn't an omission, it was an attack. On Republicans. Well, and he he was he was booed and jeered uh, by Republicans um, a lot more than than is normal in a state of the union. Um, and the state of well, I'll, I'll get get to this in, in a minute. But uh, it, it's not normal for a president to be booed and jeered. But he was just saying so many lies that that they just couldn't help themselves. No, up until before Obama. There was never any outbursts, as far as I know, mm-hmm. in the State of the Union. Uh, and I've, I've watched every State of the Union for the last, I don't know how many decades. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was fortunate to be president at one, in fact, uh, when uh, Reagan was president. But, uh, and by the way, this is Ronald Reagan's birthday week, so we're going to be celebrating mm-hmm. on our show in a, in a little while uh, of that. We have a very interesting interview, by the way, this is off the mm-hmm. subject, very interesting interview coming up uh, with P- President Reagan's lawyer uh, and... Uh, who was a, a friend of Reagan's, and he's going to talk about what Ronald Reagan was like behind closed doors. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for that. It'll be a little later in the show. I, I didn't know you'd been to um, a State of the Union. I was at a State of the Union. I, I had an opportunity to, to go to one. At, actually, it, Jimmy Carter was president, so I, I, I gave my ticket to my intern. Oh, you did? <laughs> I did. I'd still go. <laughs> I mean, I, I went to a joint session of Congress where uh, uh, the uh, Prime Minister of India spoke. His, hmm. his name was uh, his name was Gandhi. It was uh, like Indira Gandhi's grandson, I think, at the time. Hmm. He later died in an airplane. Uh, he was a oh. jet pilot or something. But uh, so I went well, to that. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're talking about Biden's State of the Union. Mm-hmm. And w- 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 one of the lies that he kept saying, and this probably got the, the biggest boos and jeers from republicans he said republicans are trying to repeal social security and medicare oh yeah that 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 is an outright lie well that's why Um, the republicans just erupted exactly exactly because these programs are not welfare they you pay if you have a job um and you you get a you know w2 um you're you're paying into medicare and social security so it's your money coming back. To yeah, exactly. They, exactly. They have taken yeah. for years. They take it. They keep it for years and years and years, and, make, and, then, make and then interest on it. Yeah, and then when but you they don't, you don't get the interest. Yeah, back. and when you get in, into your sixties, then you start getting it back. And what a lot of people um, don't know, um, Bill did not know this until recently, um, and I, I knew it. I learned it because I work for a medical association in, in D.C., and that's how I learned it. Um, when you turn 65, your medical insurance disappears. 
it's no longer available to you because Medicare kicks in. So, so if you got paid under the table, as some people do, you're out of luck. In which case, you might need to go on Medicaid, which is welfare, um, unless you have a lot of money, yeah, and or can pay high premiums. Yeah, but we do we do have socialized medicine for anybody over sixty five. Is what it mm-hmm. costs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I I I'm sure a lot of people don't realize that, and those of you who are under sixty five might not realize that. I, as as Allison said, I didn't know it. Mm-hmm. But but that. when you turn sixty five, um, your um, insurance company will no longer insure you. Well, you mentioned that what he actually said. I'm, I've got looking at the transcript here of the State of the Union. Biden said some Repu- quote some Republicans wish to sunset Social Security and Medicare. Okay, now what sunset means uh, is that they have to be reauthorized. You know, they're authorized for a certain number of years, not forever. A government program, whether it's so, you know, whatever we're talking about, what any government program, uh, sunset means it's authorized for X number of years, four years, five years, ten years, whatever, and then it has to be reauthorized. So they look at it, they see how the program is operating, what it what it needs to be cha- what needs to be changed, uh, and then they reauthorize it or decide not to reauthorize. Well, to show you what a hypocrite Joe Biden is, he said some quote some Republicans wish to sunset Social Security and Medicare, which he of course does not want to do. and never going to happen. Uh, July 19, nineteen seventy five, Senator Joe Biden introduced S two six two zero six seven, seeking quote to sunset all federal programs, including Social Security and Medicare, every four years unquote. Biden introduced a bill that he now blames the Republicans for wanting to do, to sunset Social Security and Medicare. And his argument for doing that, the rapid increase of the federal budget. Okay. Now, this was when (laughs) uh, Gerald Ford was president, day 75. So Biden said at the time, quote, it is not just the size of our budget that is staggering, compare it to his budget, but even more at the rate at which is it increasing, you know, compared to his. Quote, we cannot long continue such growth rates in expenditures. I mean, he sounds like Ronald Reagan. Quote, this is again Biden, this bill limits to four years the length of any spending authorization for any program. So there, there's your hypocrite Joe Biden, uh, who wanted to get rid of uh, Sunset. I won't be unfair. Sunset. Uh, of course, and when they... Uh, there are there were a number of outright lies in his State of the Union message, and I'll briefly go over them. He said take-home pay has gone up. That is not true at all. Real wages have fallen every month for nearly two straight years under the Biden administration. Most recent data said annual inflation is rising 50% faster than average wages. So that's lie number one. Lie number two, we've created a record 12 million new jobs. Well, he's trying to count the jobs that were temporarily abandoned due to COVID, and now people are coming back to work, he's counting those as new jobs. In reality, he's created very few jobs uh, compared to, for example, Donald, Donald Trump. Uh, number three, he said, I've provided, I'm sorry, I've presided over the largest deficit reduction in American history. That is a complete lie. In fact, he's presided over the largest two-year deficit, $4.2 trillion in American history. Line number four, two year quote, two years ago our economy was reeling. Now, anybody who lives in this galaxy 
knows that two years ago under Trump, the economy was extremely strong. He was, it was the fastest economic recovery in American history. Uh, but Biden passed huge amounts of unnecessary spending that fueled inflation. Okay, line number five. Uh, oil companies have invested too little of their profits to increase domestic production to keep gas prices down. Well, it is Biden who canceled the Keystone Pipeline. It is Biden who prohibits f- drilling for oil on federal lands. Uh, it's it's Biden who is c- raising the price. It's prohibitive to, uh, to drill on other lands, uh, prohibiting offshore oil drilling. Uh, line number six, thanks to all we've done, we're exporting American products. That's line number six. The fact, the very day that the State of the Union came, uh, was given, the federal government released 2022 trade figures showing that we hit a record trade deficit of only of almost a trillion dollars. Uh, so it's, it's the opposite direction of Biden's claim. It's up tw- over 12% compared to the previous year. Uh, it's an unprecedented trade deficit. And finally, he says the wealthy don't pay their fair share. How often do we hear that one? <laughs> you know, every stump speech of a Democrat, yep. It, yep. it's a total lie. The top 1% of the highest earning Americans pay almost 50% of the federal income tax totals. The top American 100 American corporations pay an effective tax rate of nearly 20%. Small businesses pay even more. So job creators pay far more than their fair share, but... All we hear is nonstop claims to the contrary. You know, it's a lot easier to fool somebody than to convince them that they've been fooled. Uh, And, you know, don't ask the government to fix the problems they caused. (laughs) I think there are two kinds of people in the United States, those who are embarrassed by (laughs) Joe Biden and those who are lying and pretending not to be embarrassed (laughs) by Joe Biden. That's good. It is. It is. You know, Ronald Reagan said, we don't have inflation because we're living too well. We have it because the government... Is living mm-hmm. too well. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, cut. Coming up after this break, brief break. We're going to be telling you about a little bit more about the uh, State of the Union. We're going to tell you about the designated survivor, which probably a lot of people don't know. I had never heard of designated, and I worked on Capitol Hill most of my adult life, and I never heard of designated survivor. Susie died completely healed, but you gotta play the hand you deal. Susie, I'm so glad you came along. Embraced by the Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Welcome back. We're Bill and Allison, Hill Country Patriot. Your information station. Well, we promised that we were going to tell you, continue talking about the State of the Union and tell you about the designated survivor. And Bill said that he did not know about it. Um, It's a tradition that was started in the 1950s. And actually, I'm surprised it, it didn't start before then. But I guess 50s was the Cold War. So maybe that's what made people think about it. And, um, because during the State of the Union address, um, the president, the vice president, most members of Congress, and most senators, um, cabinet. 
the cabinet and the Supreme Court are in attendance in one building at the same time. So, so they they realized that you know what happens if if that building was uh, bombed, and every you know key member of uh, of the government was killed. <laughs> so what they do is they have what they call a designated survivor, and that's a lone. Um, government official, typically a low-level cabinet member, and he uh, watches the speech in an undisclosed location so that he can continue running the country if something really bad happens after the the capital. So um, this, and the reason I'm sort of laughing, this week the designated uh, survivor was Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. (laughs) But he, he quit his job the next day. After the State of the Union? Yes. He quit his job after the State or before? I, I, I'm unclear on that. It, it, it sounded to me like he might have quit right before. But uh, anyway, he, he left the Biden administration to head the NHFL, and I assume that's the National Hockey League? Or I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it's some sports thing. Okay. Well, and, and, and we can tell you that uh, we have a personal um, – story about that and it, it wasn't the state of the union but um every every i guess it's every year um there is a meeting held at the supreme court of chief judges of every federal court from all over the country and um we, we had a, a good friend who and, and there they meet at the supreme court building and the chief justice of the supreme court presides and um on 9-11, what just happened to be the, the day of, of their uh, regular meeting, and a good friend of ours was a, a um, chief judge of a federal court, and he said they were in the meeting, and the, uh, the chief, um, chief justice, was, who was Rehnquist at the time, was handed a note, and he looked at it, and he continued talking. And then he was handed a second note, and he continued talking. He was handed a third note, and he said, "He said um, we're going to have to adjourn this meeting because there have been attacks in New York City, and there is a plane that we suspect is very possibly headed toward Washington D.C. and it could be headed toward our court building. So we are adjourning." And that, 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 that was the plane that ended up crashing in Pennsylvania. Yeah. yeah. Well, on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, we talked about how, in, before the break, that uh, before Biden, uh, excuse me, before Obama was uh, president, nobody shouted it during the State of the Union. Uh, everybody kept quiet. And, you know, the, the party that, members of Congress that were of the party of the president would applaud, you know, like little trained seals, no matter whether they're <laughs> Democrats or Republicans, that's just what's expected of you. Uh, but the op- opposition never, un- unlike the British Parliament, <laughs> you've ever seen that on <laughs> I was TV? Gonna ask you to, I was going to ask you to talk about that. Oh, that's a circus. That is, you ever, you ever s- get a chance to, it's, it's on TV every once in a while on, on one of the obscure channels, but uh, they, they show the British Parliament and it's just a circus. I mean, people are shouting and screaming and banging <laughs> on desks and... Uh, uh, it's it's hilarious, actually. Well, well, it's you, always been that way. Usually, at State of the Unions, presidents don't outright lie the way Joe Biden well, that's did. That's true too. 
That's true. I mean, they're, they're, they're boring platitudes. Well, the first time that I know of that there was ever an interruption during the State of the Union was when Obama was speaking, and a member of Congress, and I don't remember who it was, a Republican, uh, shouted out, You lie! And that was huge news. Mm-hmm. That was huge news. Now, if you saw the State of the Union, Biden's State of the Union the other day, or uh, certainly heard about the news coverage, uh, heard, excuse, excuse anyway, saw the news coverage of it, read about it, heard about it, uh, there was a lot of that going on. And uh, there well, was a... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. There was a um, congresswoman named Marjorie Taylor Greene, a Republican. Uh, she was screaming at Joe Biden, especially when they did, when Biden said that the Republicans want to get rid of, or, excuse me, I'll be fair, sunset Social Security and Medicare. Uh, they, they no, I think, he said, he, I think he said they want to get rid of it. No, I just read it from the state of the transcript, Ellison. Okay. Uh, he wanted to sunset it. But uh, he implied, now he may have said other things off the cuff because... Well, you may be right because I know some of some of what he said in the State of the mm-hmm. Union was not scripted. He, yeah, he, he, he went off the cuff. He, so he said, he, he, said right. he said Republicans want to get rid of it. Is what he said. You may, you may absolutely be right. But he, he, that wasn't part of the script that I was reading that he was supposed to say. But he, he's famous for going off the script and getting into a lot of trouble. Anyway, <laughs> there's a Babylon Bee story. Feminists are leveling criticism against. Uppity Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for speaking out of turn at this week's State of the Union and rudely interrupting an old white male who was trying to speak. <laughs> oh, and and she was attacked for what she was she was wearing a white coat yeah, and she well, was she was attacked for wearing a white coat. Yeah, I don't get the is that racist to wear a white coat? Or really, no, or I, probably, I I have no idea. Lunatic luna left. I, th- uh, I thought it was a pretty, pretty coat. They quote uh, Democrat Senator Elizabeth Warren. Absolutely shameful. Such behavior by a woman in the presence of men is just improper and unbecoming. Women need to know their place. Back when I was a young squaw on the plains of Oklahoma, <laughs> speaking like that to a man might get you a smack on the mouth or worse. Uh, this is, again, Babylon B. Republicans have joined Democrats in condemning Marjorie Taylor Greene, saying that maybe it's time for her to keep her mouth shut so the men can take care of business. Quote, she was warned... She was warned to keep keep her mouth shut and let the men speak. Uh, and they pointed out that she wasn't alone, but was joined by several other loudmouth women in forgetting their place while the dignified elder statesman Joe Biden rambled on for over 30 minutes about airline baggage fees. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi said, quote, someone has to teach these women their place before they start getting big ideas in their little female brains. So there you go. That obviously was satire, but I thought it was funny enough to, to repeat on the show. 8.57 is our Hill Country Patriot time with Bill and Allison on the Hill Country Patriot, which is, of course, your information station. Uh, oh, during the State of the Union, uh, Joe, if you can figure this out, he had this to say. But American automobiles couldn't make enough cars because there weren't enough chips. Car prices went up. People got laid off. So did everything from refrigerators to cell phones. Yes. Refrigerators and cell phones were laid off. <laughs> I, I have, Elsa and I have friends who are refrigerators and cell phones. Thank <laughs> God they got their jobs back, though. And Joe counted them. They were laid off during COVID, but then they got their jo- temporarily got their jobs back. But Joe counted those as two new jobs, by the way. Wow. Uh, just Joe counted them as two new jobs. And oh, here's 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 another great great line by uh, 
by Joe. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. There you go, Joe. Two words. <laughs> Made in America. Well, coming back from our news break, we're going to be talking to Ronald Reagan's lawyer, uh, who has a lot of fascinating little stories about what Ronald Reagan was like, personally, behind closed doors. And uh, we've got some examples of Ronald Reagan's humor. That's because this is Ronald Reagan's birthday week that we've been celebrating. Uh, right here on the Hill Country of Patriots. So we're going to be talking to uh, to his lawyer, who has uh, got some really interesting things to say. We've uh, uh, he, he's been been around Washington a long time. He's uh, in Washington, uh, lives in Washington now, and uh, his uh, he's got some things. I, I imagine that uh, I didn't know a lot of these things. Very few people know uh, some of his stories. So he's going to be coming up after the top of the hour. And we've also got, we're going to talk about the balloon, the famous balloon going over uh, the United States. The entire country. And we have some information about that balloon that you may not know, uh, that we've kind of dug up, uh, that you might uh, find of interest. And we're going to be talking about that and, uh, oh golly, so much more. We've got uh, so much more to cover. Uh, But as I said, what you probably don't know about the Chinese spy balloon is coming up. So stay with us. We are Bill and Allison on the Hill Country Patriot, your information station for the entire Hill Country. And we'll be right back. KRNH HD2, Kerrville, K271CH, Fredericksburg, K2A2BI, Kerrville, The Hill Country Patriot. The Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Now, the first couple of Texas radio. Here's Bill and Allison Mencaro. Welcome back. I'm Allison, and that's Bill over there. Yep, it is Bill, and we are the Hill Country Patriot, your information station for the Hill Country. And we're Bill and Allison. We are sometimes wrong. But we're always right. (laughs) Always right. Fighting a never-ending battle for truth, justice. And the American way. The American way. Indeed. 9.06 is our Hill Country Patriot time, and I'm doing a little uh, research here. Uh, for our next little little event, uh, wanted to talk about the balloon. We've got an uh, some information you may not know about the balloon. Uh, but first of all, let's start with uh, with an au- we've got an audio clip from Congressman Mark Green, who is uh, chairman of the Homeland Security Committee in the U.S. House of Representatives. He's a congressman from. Tennessee, and this is what he said about the balloon the other day. Yeah, well, you know, clearly the president taking it down over the Atlantic is sort of like the quarterback, sort of like tackling the quarterback after the game is over. Um, the 
the satellite had completed its mission. This should never have been allowed to enter the United States, and it never should have been allowed to complete its mission. If you ask somebody to draw an X at every place where our sensitive missile defense sites, our nuclear weapons infrastructure, our nuclear weapons sites are, you would put them all along this path. Uh, clearly, this was an attempt by China to gather information to defeat our command and control of our sensitive missile defense and nuclear weapon sites. And that certainly is an urgency that this administration does not recognize. And this administration didn't just fail here. They failed to prepare after the first time this happened during this administration. The administration's already admitted, which I've been briefed on, that, that China has done this before in the continental United States during this president's tenure. This is a crisis that has developed as a result of this president during his administration, allowing China to do a similar mm -hmm. act before, not responding, and then clearly in this one, not seeing the urgency of what was unfolding. I mean, the president allowed this to go across our most sensitive sites and wasn't even gonna tell the American public. If you hadn't broken this story, mm -hmm. uh, the American public would not have even known. There was no attempt to notify Congress, no attempt to put uh, together the Gang of Eight. Uh, I think this administration lacks urgency. Well, the theory is that China was testing Biden to see if he would do anything, and he, he didn't. No, so they're gonna do something else. Mm -hmm. you know, exactly, I, I, exactly. You know, I thought at the time, uh, and I still think, you know, if. If they had a, a if, if Biden was president when uh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, what would he do? You know, mail him a stern letter. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Th exactly. This or even not even that probably. Well, what uh, you may not know about the balloon is that uh, well, you know that they waited until it was over water to shoot it down, mm -hmm. which makes the recovery much more difficult. Exactly, which is why the one that was shot down yesterday in Alaska, they were able to um, get more of the material because it landed on ice. Yeah, okay. Why didn't they shoot this one down over an unpopulated area? Exactly. Uh, the, the governor of Montana said where the balloon went over, he said it's probably the most unpopulated area in the country. Mm -hmm. uh, so he said that the idea that, oh, it's bad for the environment. Oh, great. So we have bombers coming over to bomb the United States, but <laughs> so we don't shoot them down because it would be bad for the environment. You know, it might cause more more climate change. No, they, most of the debris, they waited until it was over the Atlantic Ocean to shoot it down. Most of the debris, according to a news story yesterday, is still lying in the ocean. And an FBI official said the uh, evidence is extremely limited. They said it's a large-scale debris field and that weather is getting bad. I mean, they're talking about February in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, so they said it's very difficult to, to get anything of significance from this balloon. Uh, we, uh, the FBI says we haven't found the ship's payload where the electronics would have been carried. Uh, most of it all remains underwater. Uh, so that's, that's the status as of yesterday on the, on the Chinese balloon. And uh, pretty frightening when we, we have a leader of the free world, so-called, uh, who I mean, so-called so leader. Well, okay. I mean, a, a circus clown knows how to handle a balloon better than Joe Biden. <laughs> That's a very good point. Yeah. Very good All point. Right. Well, as I promised, uh, we're going to talk to, uh, we, we did talk to just yesterday, Ronald Reagan's lawyer. And uh, he'll explain to you uh, what his role has been uh, with Ronald Reagan. But we wanted to, uh, to uh, let you hear this, that uh, he's got some uh, really fascinating stuff to say. And our guest, very special guest today, is Judge Lauren Smith of Washington, D.C., and a, a good friend. Judge Smith, uh, t tell us how you became involved with uh, President Ronald Reagan. 
Well, it was a long time ago now, but in 1974, I had been on the Richard Nixon's impeachment defense team and felt I knew something about the new election law, which was passed in October of 1974. And uh, but I was hoping to be able to do something in a, a job. I would, had the Nixon job had ended when he resigned. Uh, to do some new job that might take advantage of knowing how a campaign was screwed up. And I happened by a set of coincidences to run into a man named John Sears who was looking for information on the new law. So I provided him some memos and ideas that I had and he he looked at the memo and apparently joined it, asked me to write another one and I did. And then out of the blue, which surprised me a lot, he asked if I would be the general counsel of the Reagan campaign. And I was sort of shocked and uh, I had hoped to maybe have a small role and now I was going to be the lawyer for the campaign. Uh, but I accepted the job, even though my father advised getting something more stable than that, like a, getting my old position, which I had at the federal communications commission back but i decided to risk it and go with the reagan campaign and so i became general counsel from the i think it was may of 1975 officially through uh, 1977 uh, after the campaign was over the work of the lawyers still went on and i was doing all the uh, final reports and things for the Federal Election Commission and uh, we had some litigation so that really didn't end until I guess 79 uh, it went in March of 1979 I can remember the date well because on March 1st I filed the last document for the Reagan 76 campaign and then in 19 uh, on the 7th of March seven days later I, I filed the uh, first document setting up Reagan 80. Well, so of course it was he, a great, yeah. Of course, he, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan lost in 76 uh, for the presidency to uh, Gerald Ford, uh, but you continued there, the, the, you continued in the, uh, camp, the ultimately successful campaign of 1980, correct? Yes, they, they figured no one went to jail under my watch and 1976, as it happened in 1972 with a lot of the Nixon people. Uh, no one went to jail under, under at least our watch. And uh, so they said, let's have him back again as our, as our general counsel. So I re really resumed my job uh, seven days after I put the last dot on the last I in the Reagan 76 campaign. Well, you had the opportunity then to work quite closely with uh, then Governor Reagan and then eventually President Reagan. Tell us about some of your experiences with him and what he was like behind closed doors. Well, he, he was really a remarkable individual. I never saw him do anything that you could criticize or say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. He was always completely proper. He had a great sense of humor. He listened to people. Uh, there was a kindness about him that just, you know, he, when you talked to him, you, you liked him. And uh, 
And I remember the first time I met him was at the very beginning of the 76 campaign. Senator Laxalt, who was our chairman, the only incumbent Republican uh, who was uh, supporting uh, President, then Governor Reagan in the primary, was Senator Laxalt. And uh, he held a dinner at his home for the entire campaign staff, uh, everyone from the driver and the person who opened the mail to the senior staff. And there were a total of about 20 of us it was a small campaign. We had a chance to spend an evening with Governor Reagan. And he talked to us. I remember I had a, a, a talk for maybe five or ten minutes on how to get rid of poverty and some of his ideas of getting the free market into involved. We're talking with Judge Lauren Smith of Washington, D.C., who was general counsel to the Reagan for President campaign and uh, personal friends and acquaintance with uh, with Ronald Reagan. So, go ahead. Uh, he was just intellectually curious. You could tell in listening to him that he was interested in ideas, not just politics or power. He was really uh, remarkable in that sense. And then I got to see him less on the campaign trail because obviously I was the counsel and had to do a lot of stuff in Washington where he was out going to primaries and dealing with primaries. And, uh, uh, and then there were some ups and downs. We lost in the early primaries and then won in North Carolina, which revived the campaign dramatically. And then had a massive victory in Texas where uh, he won every single delegate. And Texas was really the revival of the campaign, North Carolina, and then Texas. And so I got to see him in a number of those contexts, but I never saw him when he wasn't nice, energetic, you know, well-disposed people he was around. He would get mad at bad things, but that was very, very rare. Uh, I remember I asked him to do something for me. We wanted to get some people on the ballot in Ohio, and they had a very burdensome requirement for the uh, getting on the ballot for delegate, and, and I said, well, you're going to have to sign a lot of uh, different forms, and he said, well, that'll take, how long will it take, and I, I said, well, I've timed it out, because I signed them myself, and took, and did the timing, so I could tell him, I said, it was me, almost an hour, and he said, okay, give me the forms, which I did, and on the plane, going back to California, uh, he signed all the forms. We're he was willing to do things. I'm thinking of a later, much later story. That the uh, other story that I think jumping way ahead to when he was president illustrates his character. Uh, we had I was on a thing called the Cabinet Council on Legal Policy. It was a cabinet group that included a number of the cabinet agencies that dealt with legal issues, as well as a few others were added. Myself being one of them, I was chairman at that time of the Administrative Conference of the U.S., which President Reagan uh, advised President Reagan. He had appointed me to that, that job. That one morning or one afternoon we were meeting, we usually would meet at two and go to three, and the president would always be exactly on time at two, so everyone had to be in their seats by two, and then the president would come in the door, and we were worried how he would be react 
because Hinckley had been acquitted of shooting him that morning because he was insane, according to the court. Well, we all came in, and Governor Reagan, now President Reagan, came in the door uh, with a big smile. And we were concerned about how he was going to be. He had a big smile, and he looked at us all and said, Boy, is Tip O'Neill bad. And someone asked, Why, Mr. President? And the president said, he think, He's just heard that a court said, Anyone who wants to kill me is insane. <laughs> that's great. Well, that's very typical of a sense of humor. And as uh, uh, our listeners know, we're, today is, uh, uh, well, this week uh, has, week. Been, uh, has been Ronald Reagan's birthday week. And so we are playing uh, selected audios of Ronald Reagan's uh, hu- samples of his humor on the program today. And so that fits in very well. Thank you. And, and and I think it's I think it's really nice that you're able to tell people um, how nice Ronald Reagan was in real life. Um, we we had someone on our show recently who was talking about Henry Kissinger, and and he said Henry Kissinger. I mean, as as you know, um, had such a heavy accent you could barely understand him. But Henry's brother, who came to America at the same time as he did, and was about the same age. Had no accent at all. Well, and someone someone asked, why, why is it that yeah, your brother has such a heavy yeah, accent a and you have glitch. none? It's more than just and David said, I don't think because Henry never listens. Plow ahead. So, so, so the point being about Ronald Reagan is that he listened to people. We will plow ahead oh, anyway. Absolutely. Oh, sorry about that. Uh, all all through his career, I'm sorry about thinking that. of another story. No idea, but uh, of one of the things he said. So that I heard we'll in a, to, uh, a speech he was we'll giving. We'll try to pick that up uh, said, probably next, uh, in the next program. They were we'll giving play him the award. Rest of that he for said, you. well, I, I really don't deserve this award. He said, but then again, I don't deserve the hemorrhoids I got, so <laughs> it kind of works out it, all, all right in the end. That's great, yeah. Well, great. He always had these wonderful, uh, these wonderful quips that he would come up with just on the, on the spot. We, uh, one of the White House staff was wearing a, um, a gorilla suit and was coming into another White House staff person's birthday while we were having a meeting of the Cabinet Council legal policy. And we, uh, the president always faces away from the Rose Garden. His back is to the Rose Garden and where the traditionally sits. And in back of, of him, this person in the gorilla suit walked by and we've been discussing worker training and getting more competent workers into the federal workforce and he looked around when people were looking at it saw the gorilla and he said things are getting really good standards are getting really low <laughs> you know and, and one uh, one audio clip that we we played uh, was uh, him speaking in berlin and uh, he was talking about what a wonderful city berlin is and all and a balloon popped in the audience, and Reagan immediately, without missing a beat, said, "You missed me." That is so typical of him. Yeah. I mean, I remember asking in the hospital uh, bed when they brought him in for the surgery uh, if, whether the doctors were Republicans. <laughs> Yes, he did. I remember that. You remember what I the remember doctor that. said, Mr. President, today we are all Republicans. So <laughs> that, was, that was a great comeback as well. well yes. 
Yeah, that really was a, a great comeback. Yeah, uh, but he he did make people feel like they were all somehow connected with him. Uh, he had a mm-hmm. strong sense of values, and and when it came to positions, he was immovable when he thought he was right. But when it came to people, he was humane and 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 looked to understand what people's concerns were, and and truly and really liked people. Thank you, Judge Judge Smith. It's been a, a great very, pleasure to have you on the program. That's, that's a very sweet story. It is. It is. Well, they're all great stories, and uh, I wish we had more time. I'm sure you have a, a million of them, uh, but it's, it's in celebration of Ronald Reagan's birthday week that uh, we've been having you on and doing the audios of, of Reagan, so uh, people might get to know him a little more personally than they may have ever had the opportunity to. So We're talking with Judge Lauren Smith of Washington, D.C., who was general counsel to the Reagan for President campaign and uh, personal friends and acquaintance with uh, with Ronald Reagan. Thank you again for joining us. We much appreciate well, it, it. It was a pleasure to remember some wonderful uh, times with uh, with uh, President Reagan, first Governor Reagan, then President Reagan. So thank you much. Thank you. Well, that was uh, that was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to talk mm-hmm. to Lauren. Uh, what what uh, I didn't mention is that. Uh, uh, Lauren and I met, met uh, he was in first year law school and I was still in college and we've been good friends ever since. I was best man at his wedding and uh, godfather it, to his first uh, firstborn. It is 925 is our Hill Country Patriot time. You're on, you're on the Hill Country Patriot, your information station with Bill and Allison. We're celebrating Ronald Reagan's birthday week with some, uh, uh, some uh, here's, uh, here's an example of uh, some of his, uh, Ronald Reagan's humor. It was a fellow that was on his way to a mountain resort, and a policeman stopped him and said, Did you know that you're driving without taillights? And the driver hopped out of the car. He was so badly shaken that the officer took pity on him and said, Well, now, wait a minute. Calm down. It's not that serious an infraction. The fellow said, It may not mean much to you, but to me it means I've lost my trailer, a wife, and four kids. You know, there's a story about a pig and a chicken. They got tired of farm life, decided to find jobs in town. They no sooner arrived in town when a chicken spotted a sign in the window of a restaurant. It said ham and eggs, a dollar and a quarter. The chicken suggested they go in and apply. And the pig said, wait a minute. For you, this job only requires a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment. I know that some of you are no beginners when it comes to writing headlines. Reminds me a little bit of a cub reporter. You knew that something would remind me of a story. (laughs) Cub reporter whose first solo assignment was interviewing a fellow who was just going to have a birthday that made him the oldest person in town. And he got to the address. It was an older building out in the outskirts of the city. An elderly gentleman ushered him in. He sat down and... The reporter determined he was the man, and he he said uh, he was there for the interview, and he led right to the matter about how old are you, and the man said, 96. He said, to what do you attribute your longevity? And the fellow said, I don't smoke, drink, or run around with wild women. And at that moment, there was a crash from upstairs, and the reporter looked up, and he said, what was that? And the old boy said, oh, that's Dad. He's drunk again. <laughs> You know, there was a time that being a Republican in this area of the country felt a little bit like 
being Gary Cooper in High Noon, <laughs> outnumbered in a big way. I remember the story of the fellow here a while ago who was running for Congress as a Republican. He stopped by a farm to do some campaigning, and when the farmer heard he was a Republican, his jaw dropped, and he said, wait right here. He said, ah, while I get Ma, she's never seen a Republican before. <laughs> so he got Ma, and the candidate looked around for a podium to give his speech from. The only thing he could find was a pile of that stuff that Bess Truman took 35 years trying to get Harry to call fertilizer. <laughs> so he got up on the mound, and when they came back, he gave his speech. End of it, the farmer says, that's the first time I've ever heard a Republican speech. Candidate said, that's the first time I've ever given a Republican speech from a Democratic platform. <laughs>We'll be right back after this quick break and we will be telling you that if the fda gets its way they will be putting big pharma in charge of making decision decisions about your health care instead of your doctor Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Welcome back. We're Bill and Allison, Hill Country Patriot. Your information station. And as we say, we are sometimes wrong. But we're always right. Always right. Fighting a never-ending battle for truth, justice. And the American way. And the American way. That's our job here. And we take it seriously at the all of all of the personalities at the Hill Country Patriot take that very seriously, mm-hmm. and we're glad you're with your information station for the Hill Country. And we cover uh, we cover the bulk of the Hill Country, all the way from way up north, to way down south, to way over east, to way over west. Mm-hmm. I think we covered them all there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we promised that we we're going to tell you um, what the FDA is going to try to do to you. Um, this you, you probably heard or read about this uh, omnibus um, legislation that was just passed a 4,155 page bill it was just passed um, 1.7 trillion dollars in spending and um, what okay currently um, in the US one in five prescriptions is written for off-label use and what that means if you don't if you don't know uh, means the drug is per, is um, has been approved by the FDA for a certain particular uh, use, but they have found research has found that that drug is good for other things. So doctors prescribe them for what is called off-label use. As a matter of fact, just last week we were talking about Ozempic, which is for type two diabetes. But um, people are taking it to lose weight. And the f- funny thing is, since we did that show last week, I, I, I used to hear its ad like every 15 minutes. Oh, 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 Zempic. <laughs> exactly, Da-da-da. exactly, exactly. And Bill watches less TV than I do, so, but even he knows the tune. Um, but but s- since then, I think I've only seen the, their ad once, 
And it used to be, like I said, I'm not kidding, every 15 minutes. So immediately after we criticized them, they went off the air. Is that what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Boy, I, we have such power. I really know we do. Well, it's the Hill Country Patriot that has the power. <laughs> well, exactly. It's all, all, of, all of the Hill Country Patriot listeners. But uh, and anyway, uh, in that bill that was just passed, um, Big Pharma is going to be in charge of um, the of your the the drugs that you're allowed to take. I mean, there there might be a drug that is um, perfectly good for you and will be helpful helpful to whatever your condition happens to be, but if it was not specifically approved for that use by the FDA, um, the um, big pharma is going to not want you to use it. Although you think they make money, so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No, they're all about money, aren't they? I know. But but what this new legislation does, it, it amends the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, or FDCA, to give the FDA the authority to ban some of these off-label uses of otherwise approved products. So, so that affects what, what your doctor can prescribe to you. Wow. Wow. Well, it's, uh, so the pharma is going to decide what, what you get and not the doctor. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Even though, as I said, it's an approved drug. Well, we, we played the whole Project Veritas uh, audio uh, a few shows ago. Uh, in case you don't know about this, Project Veritas, which is goes out and does ambush interviews basically uh they're legitimate they're uh but they uh they get people who don't realize that they're being recorded to admit all sorts of stuff that they would never admit in public uh and they got a, a top level uh, position from pfizer corporation uh admitting uh a whole bunch of stuff and we as i said we played this a couple of weeks ago you can go to go to first couple of texas radio.com and uh, and listen to our uh, our playing of that but it's, uh, he admitted just outright that uh, the more viruses and pandemics there are, uh, the more money Pfizer can make, and that's what they like. He called it a cash cow, and he said we're, we're even in discussions of uh, creating viruses and creating pandemics uh, so we can make more money. That's, mm-hmm. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yeah, they're, they're, talking, they're, they ta- the, they're talking about mutating COVID um, so that... Uh, the, so they can sell more drugs, yeah. get get more people sick, and make sell more drugs. Now, the media, what Rush used to call the drive-by media, the big corporate media, has ignored this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the reason they have, it's not hard to figure out because duh. Let's see, watch let's t- see, Pfizer, yeah. <laughs> Pfizer buys ads. Yeah, <laughs> watch TV for fifteen minutes and you'll see a Pfizer ad, or radio for fifteen minutes and you'll hear a Pfizer ad. Not here. But um, so big media is, is you know, the, that's that's their bread and butter. They, so they don't want anything that attacks Pfizer, uh, even though it's uh, even though a Pfizer official admits that they're looking into mutating viruses, doing gain of function. Of course, they don't call it that, but it is uh, to do that. Well, that's depressing. <laughs> so let's. Uh, oh, how, how about some how about some more Ronald Reagan humor? More Ronald Reagan humor. Good idea. Seems that 25 of San Francisco's top bootleggers, they were arrested back there in those days of the Volstead Act. And as they were being arraigned, the judge asked the usual question, of course, about their occupation. And the first 24 were all engaged 
in the same professional activity. Each claimed he was a realtor. <laughs> and then he got to the last one, the 25th, and says, and what are you? He asked the last prisoner, and the, the fellow says, Your Honor, I'm a bootlegger. And the judge was surprised, but he laughed, and he said, well, how's business? He said it'd be a lot better if there weren't so many realtors around. <laughs> Down in Texas during the 1976 primary, they had me out knocking on doors. And I remember one kind of rural area. I'd been governor of California, but I wasn't all that well-known in Texas. And I knocked on the door, and an old fellow in his undershirt and jeans came to the door and I told him I was running for president and having been in the occupation I'd been in for a number of years I was kind of surprised when he asked me what I'd done for a living <laughs> and I told him I'd been an actor and then he asked me what my name was and I thought well maybe if I give him a hint and so I said well my initials were RR and with that, a face lit up, and he turned, and he ran back into the house, and he was yelling, Ma, Ma, come on out here quick. Roy Rogers is outside. <laughs> so, of course, asking for help suggests a certain degree of trust, which reminds me of a story. It has to do with a fellow that fell off a cliff, and he grabbed a limb on the way down, and there he hung dangling above the rocky canyon and he looked up and and uh, <clears throat> didn't see anyone and he finally shouted out oh lord if you're up there tell me what to do and a moment later a voice came booming down from the heavens that said if you have faith let go well he took another look down at those rocks 200 feet below then looked up again and says is there anyone else up there <laughs> there aren't any words to I can properly tell you how bittersweet these days are and the things that we would like to say to all of you. You know, I keep remembering back and uh, not too far when someplace along the line there would always be a picture of a president standing in the old office uh, looking out the window, usually the picture from behind and he's standing there and then his words are quoted as a tag for that picture about this is the loneliest place and what a lonely and so forth. I don't know about them. I haven't been lonely one minute. Some have said down through history if you last it's a mystery but I guess they don't know well, you're with Bill and Allison on the Hill Country Patriot, your information station. 9.42 is our Hill Country Patriot time. We're going to take a little short break, and when we come back, uh, you're going to hear about medical treatment must be cut back to save the planet. So you might want to know about that. That goes along with our Pfizer story, and also why a congressman voted no on spending money on cancer research. America, America. 
And my brothers are all black and white, yellow too. And the red man is right to expect a little from you. Promise and then follow through, America. All the men who build the planes and who live through hardship and The Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Welcome back. We're Bill and Allison on Hill Country Patriot, your information station. Yeah, for the entire Hill Country. 946 Hill Country Patriot time. Again, with Bill and Allison, and uh, we've been enjoying the Ronald Reagan birthday week. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a it's been a lot of fun, but right now we have a new feature on the Bill and Allison Show. So and whenever, whenever you hear that, it's... It's a woke alert. It's our woke alert. So, what's going on in the world of wokeness? Well, this is from Harvard Medical School. They voted to embed climate change into the medical school curriculum. Quote, every student who comes through the Harvard Medical School will will leave with an understanding of what climate change is. Wow. Yeah, yeah, what climate change is. They say we need to take climate action to prevent the next pandemic because obviously burning fossil fuels (laughs) caused covid yeah. Uh, the American Cancer Society Journal is fretting about the carbon footprint, what they call the carbon footprint of cancer care. Okay? Wow. This is directly from the. American so they want to cut down on cancer care? Yes. Wow. Yes. That's incredible. The American Cancer Society Journal, quote To date, no studies have estimated the carbon footprint of cancer care. The energy expenditure associated with operating cancer treatment facilities and medical devices, as well as the manufacturing, packaging, and shipment of devices and pharmaceuticals, contributes significantly to greenhouse gas emissions in cancer care. Some cancer treatment facilities have begun to consider their own carbon footprint and started a process to achieve carbon neutrality. Well, the the head of... Um, Climate Depot, um, Mark Morano, who has been on our program and uh, is going to be coming back, asks about this. He says, here's a question for the American Cancer Society. If you need cancer treatment, would you go to a cancer treatment center that was worried about its carbon footprint (laughs) or one that was worried about delivering the best possible care for you? That's a good question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, apparently we can save the planet by killing people is what they're... Well, that, well, that's true. Oh, good point. Good point. Of course, that's what they want. They're, they're a culture of death. I've said that many I times before. Uh, Proverbs uh, says, those who hate me love death. Mm-hmm. And they do. 
they they love death. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to murder babies uh, in the name of abortion rights. Ed Markey, Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts at the State of the Union, was wearing a button mm. that said abortion with the O in abortion as a heart. He wasn't. Th- there were several others, too. Okay. Yeah, with a heart mm-hmm. saying, I love abortion. Mm-hmm. Now, how, how demonic is I love abortion? Mm-hmm. I love death. I love killing babies mm-hmm. is, is what they said. Well, there's, you know, while you're talking about woke companies, yeah. um, Disney, I, I just read this, I think yesterday, uh, Disney's stock is way down mm-hmm. um, because they're becoming so woke. Well, good. And having, you know, gay stuff for, for little kids and, um, oh, yeah. you know, drag shows for kids. and. Good. Well, go woke, go broke. Mm-hmm. DeSantis, exactly. Has, exactly. DeSantis has pulled all our tax favorable, favorable mm-hmm. laws against mm-hmm. them. Uh, but no, I, I say it's a culture of death with... As I said, abortion, uh, sterilization of young ch- children, mutilate, uh, mutilating them in the name of transgender rights, uh, homosexuality, all these things are, are designed not to have any more children, uh, to cut the population. Uh, same-sex marriage, and then of course we have assisted suicide and other forms of euthanasia. It's a culture of death because they, they and I, you don't have to be a conspiracy nut to just read their stuff. Just go online and read what they say. They want to cut the population. Some of them say by 70%. Some of them say all the way up to 98%. Uh, they want to cut the population down. Well, well you sort of on, uh, along that same, same line, uh, the woman who is libs of TikTok, um, I saw her on, I think she was on Tucker last night, and she's uh, trying to be uh, forced off of, um, I don't know, the Facebook or... I think it was Twitter. Tw- uh, Twitter. But all she does is she gets these um, recordings that people have done themselves, and she posts them. That's all she does. Yeah, she doesn't comment on them. She just posts them. But she was mm-hmm. attacked. She mm-hmm. was attacked during a congressional committee for posting hateful material, hateful things, and and lies. I, I listened to the congresswoman who was uh, talking to a Twitter executive in, in testimony, and she said, "Well, libs of uh, libs of TikTok is doing a, a lie." Isn't this a lie? And isn't this a lie? And all this woman at Libs of TikTok does is take what other people have said in videos and po- repost them. Mm-hmm. That's all she does. She doesn't comment on them at all. If they're lies, it's because the people who originated no. the videos are lying. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But she's being attacked for that because they don't want people to know. They don't want you to know what they're doing behind the scenes. And that's, you know, that's the bottom line. You know, it's 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 a. a cabal of the elite and I, we all know that we all know that well i, I did mention that uh, i was going to tell you about why a congressman voted no on cancer research indiana congressman cl- climate change no indiana congressman earl landgrebe once uh, once explained he had voted no on funding for cancer research but for two reasons one he thought it was uh, too much money is an excessive amount of money. Wasteful, he thought. A lot of it would go to waste. But he said, besides, discovering a cure of cancer would only change which way you're going to go. <laughs> Congressman Earl Angry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, man. We'll 9.53 is our little country patriot time. What? What was that? Um, was she governor of, was it Oklahoma or Texas? Who am I thinking of? Ma? Ma, somebody. Ma Ferguson. Uh huh. Do you remember what what she you said about the Bible? <laughs> yes. Yes. She said uh, she believed in the King James version because <laughs> quote 
If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Ma Ferguson. They don't they don't make them like Ma Ferguson anymore. You know, fortunately or unfortunately, I'm not sure which. Oh, but uh, no, it's uh, what are you going to do? Uh, the World Economic Forum a couple of weeks ago. As you probably know, is the annual gathering of the globalist elites in Davos, Switzerland. Well, there was a presentation there that didn't get any play in the American news media because they don't want you to know this stuff. But Bill and Ellison found out about it. <laughs> a presentation hyped brainwave monitoring technology to let employers know how mm. hard their employees are working, whether they get distracted. And even if they have what they call amorous feelings for coworkers, uh, and what the the, the presenter um, Jeffrey Lofredo, I believe was his name, he said, "quote You can not only tell whether a person is paying attention or their mind is wandering, but you can discriminate between the kinds of things they are paying attention to, whether it's pro- computer programming or writing something." or unrelated tasks like surfing social media or online browsing. So they can, the boss can sit in his office and monitor your brain waves to see if you're working hard enough or if you're distracted. Uh, the, the event was titled, Are You Ready for Brain Transparency? And the World Economic Forum speaker explained how brainwave data collected will be used by your boss to make you more productive. And they showed a short video and in which an employee worried about her employer detecting her amorous feelings by a, for a coworker by reading her brainwave data. We're only in the infancy of this now. Yeah. It is really, really scary. But as I said before, the way to fight this is not to comply. Just say no. If enough people had said no to the COVID lockdowns, they couldn't get away with it. They can't put us all in jail. Exactly. So if, if enough people just say, mm, I don't think so, they can't get away with this crap. Well, and F- Florida was, I mean, you know, as wonderful as we think Texas is, Florida was the best state during COVID. It was the most free, most open state dur- during COVID. That is true. Yeah. I mean, our, our governor, you know, went along with all the lockdown stuff. Well, that's true. That's true. I mean, as, as I've told Bill, if, if something like this ever happens again, I, I, I'm not wearing a mask. Well, I'm, I'm just not going to. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> I don't think you should ever wear a mask. <laughs> no, it's a, hide your pretty face. <laughs> you know, um, a buddy of mine was, uh, I think masks save lives, though. I mean, you, you, we can joke about masks. You're laughing. I think I masks save lives. A buddy of mine was walking down the street and uh, with his girlfriend, and they were holding hands. And uh, his, uh, he sees his wife coming down, coming toward him. And they were both, both he and his girlfriend were wearing masks. His wife walks right by him, didn't, didn't recognize him. <laughs> masks save lives. Masks save lives. Well, but Bill and I were at a store. We were, we were in Mexico. We were at a store, and we were in different departments of the store. And he, he came over to where I was. And uh, <laughs> for, the, for a second, I didn't recognize him because he was wearing masks. Yeah, I was. Well, they, He's they forced... wearing a mask, I think, and a, and a, a, a ball cap. Yeah, well, they, they, this is, you know, the, one of the stores where they forced you to wear a mask or they throw you out. Um, Mexico was even worse than, than the United States about masking. We had some friends in Mexico, and they were on the beach, and they were the only people on the beach, and a oh, cop yes. car pulled up and told yes. them to put masks on. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. 
And you, you still see people wearing masks. I, I mean, know. You, you know, why is just advertise I'm a complete doofus and I have no uh, knowledge of what's going on in the world, no knowledge of research, so I put this diaper on my face. I mean, this is, that's basically what you're advertising or driving with a mask on. Uh, Dr. Mark McDonald, who's been on our show before, psychiatrist from uh, California, uh, one of the few sane people in that state left, um, most everybody's left, uh, that, are, that have any sanity. Um, anyway, Mark said that uh, he saw a woman on a scooter wearing a mask but no helmet. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Well, it's uh, Ronald Reagan's birthday week, and we've had a lot of fun with that. Uh, a lot of the humor of Ronald Reagan, which has been a lot of fun. I wish we could play it every week. Well, we could. I suppose we could every <laughs> once in a while. We should go back to that. Absolutely. <laughs> Well, we are Bill and Allison on the Hill Country Patriot. We're here every Saturday from 8 to 10 in the morning. And where else are we found, Allison? Firstcoupleoftexasradio.com. So you can catch us there at firstcoupleoftexasradio.com. We have our podcast up there and a lot more. So uh, you, can, uh, you can tune into that. You can subscribe there and get an announcement of when, uh, when we posted a new show. Our uh, business website is papersourceonline.com if you're interested in real estate investment papersourceonline.com and that's uh, something that uh, a lot of people are interested in and uh, we, we try to do a little real estate education there, a lot of free stuff uh, we have a free e-course so uh, again that's papersourceonline.com well Allison and I want to leave you with a quote from President Ronald Reagan Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our years telling our children what it was once like in the U.S. where men were free. KRNH HD2, Kerrville, K271CH, Fredericksburg, K2A2BI, Kerrville, The Hill Country.